Welcome back, Dreadfuls. You're listening to another episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We are not a spoiler-free podcast to make sure you have seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. I'm one of your hosts, Rai. And I'm one of your other hosts, Chris. And we're back. Uh, we we were gone for like two weeks, three weeks. Two it weeks. Feels, yeah, it feels a lot longer. <laughs> I know. Life is weird right now. I mean, I but was working we, the graveyard shift. Yes, and uh, both of us feel like zombies. We we did a couple of replays of older episodes. Last week we were replaying uh, Train to Busan, uh, our really awesome zombie episode. Our guest host Starla. Yeah, before that, that was our that was our second year anniversary. So we yeah. were yeah. So we were reposting an episode about that. I know we didn't post it on the feed either, but it was Mother's Day uh, not too long ago, and we did a Mother's Day. We did a lovely. Yes. Yeah, that was a. I can't believe that, we, that that felt that we did that what, like two years ago. Yeah, I think that was our second episode was Mother's Day. That was so. It's so long. Wow. Right. We did Mother's Day by Daryl and Bowsman, and then we did Serial Mom, Kathleen Turner. Which was a trip and a fucking half. Serial Mom was a, a a wee gem of a horror comedy. Serial Mom was great. I liked Serial Mom. Happy belated Mother's Day. Happy belated second birthday to us. We have a toddler now, Chris. Yes, we have. <laughs> the, yes, no way to the terrible twos. Oh no. <laughs> um. So we're back in the studio. So Ryan was very, very good to be so indulgent to my taste because what are we reviewing today? We are reviewing the auteur, the <laughs> cinematic um, genius, the madman, the, the man who pushes the envelope and doesn't say no to a movie. That's right. I'm talking about my man, Nick Cage. Nick Cage has been doing quite a bit of genre films and horror films in particular the guy does not say no to a movie uh we were reviewing two movies today that came out really recently like with all within the last three years uh mom and dad and mandy now obviously he's done some other uh movies like uh i think most recently the color space and we really really want to do it and by we i mean Especially me, uh, because we're we... gonna dedicate that to like a cosmic horror episode, though, because that is yes, like p- that is also very Chris. It's pure Lovecraftian horror, and I want to give that its own special time. This is like n- ho- like other kinds of horror. Nick Cage film. I gotta tell you, Nick Cage is unhinged. And I don't know what it says about the consumer, but there is something that people enjoy about watching Nick Cage freak out and scream at a camera. I have found like full 10 minute video compilations of him freaking out in a various amount of movies. I don't know why when people write that into a script, they probably think of Nick Cage, but <laughs> there are two glorious freakout scenes in this movie. And I full disclosure, I did prefer one of these over the other. That's cool. Three guesses as to which one it was. And one of them, one scene in one of these films was like a whole mood that I felt. So like... <laughs> uh, I have a feeling I know... 
<laughs> I, I have a feeling I know which scene you're th- talking about. Like, but that that's like the that's just the genius Nick Cage. Like, love him or, or hate him. I hate you gotta him give as a person. Credit. I'm sorry. I hate him as a person. Oh, okay. I love him. So it's you and okay. I have been over this. What he did to the St. Louis number one cemetery is a disgrace. <laughs> 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 we can't get me started on it, but his acting is great. It's great. Like, yeah, love him or hate him. Like he, like I, I was watching the the Shutter uh, behind the scenes commentary about Mandy, and they describe Nick Cage to a T. They describe him as brave and daring and committed, and those are very very adjectives. Nick Cage just gives it his all, and he becomes absorbed in the role. He just brings this insane, intense pathos. And you see them both in equal parts and measures in both movies. And we'll we'll get into it to see. I I would love for us to argue which movie we think he's more unhinged in. Oh, I got you. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So here's here's the thing. I'm going to lay the groundwork down right now. This entire episode is probably going to be one giant love letter to nick cage from chris yes yes <laughs> i'm okay with this. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bear the lead i loved every minute of like nick cage just just losing his shit every five minutes it was beautiful <laughs> uh, okay so we're gonna get into some synopsis synopsis i can't speak it's okay we are all good I haven't even had any wine yet. <laughs> We're fine. So let's let's get into this. So oh, the uh, synopsis, dealer's, yes. Oh, dealer's choice. Are we starting with Mandy or Mom and Dad first? Let's go in chronological order. Let's start with Mom and Dad. Cute little, uh, cute little black comedy horror comedy we got going on here. A teenage girl and her younger brother must survive a wild 24 hours during which a mass hysteria of unknown origin causes parents to turn violently on their own kids. Yes. Yes. I live! <laughs> so this movie, I I literally didn't like watch any trailers. I, I went completely blind uh, into this film. And the first shot just hits you literally like a train the first shot is it just sets the entire mood of the movie where it's just batshit crazy um so you you see this mom driving a minivan uh she's tuning tuning to the radio there's like a bunch of static she drives it onto the railroad tracks gets out of the car there's a baby in, in a in a car seat in the back seat she just walks off and a train just collides with the van uh like opening credits like that's that is the energy that is the mood that we're coming to mom and dad and it just ramps it up to 11 the entire time like there was no subtlety it it is and it makes a lot of sense because apparently this movie is directed and written by brian taylor apparently brian taylor was a stuntman turned director and one of his biggest claim to fames was the Jason Statham movie Crank where Jason yes! Statham, yeah Jason Statham <laughs> has to keep his heart beating with adrenaline every 30 seconds or else he'll die that makes perfect sense and the, so right first impressions on mom and dad so here's the thing it was cute it was funny uh i was 
actually surprised at how hilarious I thought this was. Because here's the thing. I I love true crime. I love horror, obviously. I can watch any kind of murder under the sun. But when it comes to, like, kids and dogs, it makes me uncomfortable. So, like, the beginning of that movie probably was the most uncomfortable I was in this entire movie. But for that one moment, I felt as uncomfortable as you did watching the entirety of the Poughkeepsie tapes. Oh, really? (laughs) Because it was a baby. Mm -hmm. It just, like, it really, like, it just does something to me. Because, you know... Infanticide is like a real thing. Parents do kill their kids for whatever reason. We're not going to get into that. That's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. So it does something to me. But the rest of the movie, I was totally fine because it's older teenagers. It's a black comedy, and you get it. But to start on that note was really shocking for me. But it does set the tone for the rest of the movie. It's basically mass infanticide, <laughs> like across this one town and it's just it's just fucking disturbing wait um uh i'm i'm a little bit fuzzy was it just the town or was it like all over the country all the world so so here's the thing in uh q and a's and interviews with the director outside of the film they say it definitely lasts more than 24 hours like it was like the beginning And it's not just that town, but it's that town in the focus of this movie. So outside knowledge would dictate it's everywhere. But it's kind of like a bottle episode in the sense that, like, you don't know it's happening everywhere else because you're not in, like, a major city. You're in a small suburb of wherever the hell you are. I think it's I think they actually shot it in Kentucky. And... That's as far as the spread goes to your knowledge in the film. Like, you know it's on the news, but it's not like they're showing you CNN or BBC News. They're showing you the local TV station. It's very local to, like, wherever they are. I mean, I think the best way to describe this movie is, like, take a couple that has two kids. They're both in the middle of their own midlife crisis. And then take like a little bit of the movie The Happening and just throw it in there and you have mom and dad. <laughs> like, in- pure insanity. Pure insanity from start to finish. Both movies, they, they, they share this trait where the, the plot is very simple. And it's not, I, I feel like the plot is secondary to the experience. Ex- secondary to the execution of the movie. Now, I'll agree uh, with you on that. Yeah, so Mom and Dad, um, I liken it to like a Bloomhouse film. They take a small, simple idea, uh, and they just twist it so into like an abs- like a slightly absurd but still plausible uh, scenario, and they, they they try to extract horror out of that. So, for example, like. The Purge. The Purge, on paper, is a silly idea. It's like, one night in the U.S. for 24 hours, all crime is legal. But, like, just how it's executed, it's just, it just becomes a great thriller. Same thing with this movie, where they, they got Grant Morrison, like, a, a very famous uh, comic book writer who's known for, like, his really weird esoteric uh, writing. Like, they got him to come on... And explain like what's the nature of this 
creepy virus or this bioweapon or what this this trigger this stimuli that's making everyone go crazy and it's it's rooted in like facts so like it's like oh yes uh in the animal kingdom uh animals like kill their own young they just push the needle a little bit more uh and they just applied it to the humans or they just had like they were explaining how oh it's like this natural instinct within the animal brain of our of of the hu- of, of 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 our brains um, but they just died up to 11 or just died just far enough where, um, you know, it, they created this nightmare scenario. Uh, on top of that, yes, on, on one level, it's just a really schlocky, over-the-top, um, unchained romp. Like, Nick Cage just going full psycho. Uh, but at the same time, it's also just, it's like a, uh, like a poignant social commentary about like the nature of being a parent and about the nature of 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 growing up and you know the sacrifices you have to make when you know you start a family it's like the the individual versus the collective that that push and pull dynamic in your youth wild and free you have the world as your oyster you feel like you take on the world and then um you know they were in love and then sometimes making a family just happens, you know, you, you, bam, you have, you have a kid. Oh, bam, you have another kid. There's this paradox where you love your kids, but sometimes you just, they just drive you crazy or some, or, or you, you love your family, but at the same time, you also desire for, uh, independence or, 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 or that feeling of youth again. Um, and you know, it plays that, underneath all this subtext of like just crazy over-the-top action i i thought that was really poignant and really cool yeah they definitely cover some like real shit intertwined with this like black comedy and i think it it makes it successful and it makes it funny and amusing and keeps that twisted sense i mean i i almost thought for a second that selma blair's character the mom wouldn't be affected by all of this because of how much she's sort of been able to resist whatever that static is for most of the movie. So I really thought that there was just going to be like a moment. And there was that like one brief second where she like turned on grandma, but it wasn't because she was protecting her kid. It was because she wanted to kill her kid. (laughs) (laughs) So like, (laughs) eh, quite, almost, but not quite. I just think it was great to sort of watch how demented they could they could go with this and how adorably gleeful she looked at the thought of killing her own child she just had this adorable little mischievous look on her face when they both got home and they were both in the house i do think that the two there were a couple of moments that stand out to me in this movie but i think the two winners that really get me going are both about nick cage one of them is when he's chasing the boyfriend around the house and he's barking at him. <laughs> Which I was like, what the, what the fuck is this? Oh my god, there's that one scene where he's just ranting, oh, I was 16 once, I know what boys do, and then... It all means! Like, then, I don't... <laughs> and there's this one scene where, like, it's like, it's like a, a pseudo-over-the-shoulder shot, and just, you just see Nick Cage raise back his hand... And just slaps the hell out of of out of Damon, and he, go, he just slams to the ground and goes unconscious. Like, oh man, the cage, jeez. Yep, the cage is here. 
The other moment that I later found out was totally improvised was the hokey pokey scene. Oh, the what where he's wait, the entire scene where he's he's breaking apart the pool table. It was scripted for him to have a meltdown and like break apart the pool table, but the fact that he was singing the hokey pokey and the fact what was completely unscripted. Nick Cage did that all on his own. That is so and I Nick watched, Cage. <laughs> and I watched a Q&A from Screamfest, and I found out where he was coming from with that. Nick Cage also apparently gets a music credit for that version in the movie, and he didn't know that <laughs> until, <laughs> until he was on this stage. So I was like, huh, okay. So, evidently, in kind- when Nick- and this is according to Nick Cage, when he was in kindergarten, they asked a bunch of the kids to do the hokey pokey, and he said it was to test, like, how bright some of the kids were, like, hand-eye coordination, and he was like, well, I was fine, but some of my friends weren't that great, so I fucking hate that song, and I would like other kids to understand the pain of having to recite. He, like, went on this whole rant about the hokey fucking pokey. And how he wants kids who grew up singing it to share in his hatred and resentment for it. So when they watch this movie and they watch this scene, that's where it's coming from. <laughs> Nick Cage. Nick Cage is a man of the people. He is, he is part of the Vox Populi. God bless you, Nick Cage. That is amazing. I love it. <laughs> I'm just like, this literally, I was like, you had, you... You had some deep-seated fucking trauma about the hokey pokey that you took it out on a pool table in a movie. Okay, okay. That All makes right, perfect sense. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. I love the cage. That that that's just oh, so good. And he looked like he looked like the modern day like vampire lord while he was on stage like giving this interview. He was wearing sunglasses and a leather jacket and a fuck ton of rings on. I was like, what? What is happening right now? Like, who are you right, as a person? Right. You say you hate Nick Cage, but I see a wide grin in your face. I will not let you betray me. I will fucking stab you. No, I'm kidding. We're not in the same room. I can't stab him, guys. Oh, jeez. Oh, That's beautiful. Um, this movie was just... This movie was just so much fun. Like this is just like a Ouija. Like if you ever need like a fun, like a weird, quirky horror comedy, but you also really like want to watch something that's not like your typical horror comedy, watch this. This is just you can find it on Hulu. It's like going to Bizarro. Like oh yeah, like it's It's weird. weird. It's it's so weird and kooky. Do you I'm know just, what? Like, odd. There were so great, so many great moments, but I think um, uh, the moment where, um, I mean, uh, and in retrospect, I should have seen it coming, but I, I, I was just so enraptured in like the high intensity octane performance of like Selma Blair and Nick Cage, and you know when they're they're cornering their kids in the kitchen, the doorbell rings. You remember that the the the, the, yes! the the dinner with the parents was supposed to happen. They open the door. Nick Cage's dad uh, pulls out a knife and starts stabbing. He's like, "Oh!" The grandparents just get in on the on on the on the fight. And I was like, "Whole!" Like I I couldn't. I thought like I was like, "Okay." Um, at that point, it's like, 
what's gonna happen? How are they gonna top this? And then it, the grandparents come in and start start like cussing out their kids or cussing out Nick Cage. Um and oh that was that was such a good scene. It it's one of those things where it's like they mentioned it at the beginning, but you get so caught up in every other part of the movie that you like they all forgot that it was happening, and so does the audience. And I thought that that was really friggin' clever, because when the doorbell rings, that is the moment where you're like, oh my god, grandma and grandpa are coming for dinner. And then it hits you, and then, I mean, it hit me before he opened the door, and I was like, oh my god, grandma and grandpa are coming to dinner. One of these fuckers is gonna die, because they have to kill, they have this deep-seated need to kill their own child. <laughs> it, and it's it just, was so oh, good, so good. And then, and then, and then, it's like Nick Cage like takes out the grandparents with his car. <laughs> yeah, we. I also knew that there was something with that car that was gonna come back, like make a comeback and and happen. Yeah, a lot of attention was put on the car. On <laughs> they were, the they were, car, they were, they were trying to build a payoff, and then yeah, he basically like. He ruins the car and he smashes and kills like his grandpa. Like, yeah, it was it was wild. So, I mean, it ends up with them in the basement, completely tied up. I like the fact that there isn't a sequel. Um, I know Nick Cage had his own ideas for a sequel. Shocking. I don't think I would hate a sequel because they created a world where you could make infinite mom and dad movies and watch different families sort of unravel with this tragedy. Like, what do you do if you're the parents and you try to kill your child and you succeed? What do you do afterwards? Because they, they're they both clearly lucid in every other respect other than the fact that they want to kill their children. Like, they were being very logical about the bullet in her arm when she got shot, like, cleaning it and taking it out and and the ways to break the door down and get the saw and just cut off the lock and open the, the everything else was logical with the exception of the fact that they wanted to murder their children and, and so, the thing is they they established like some tweaks on it it's not like every single parent's trying to kill every other single kid it's just it only works on people who share the same bloodline so there's that one shot where uh, the daughter and her boyfriend, they're running around and they they see a neighbor, like this this big, big hulking guy with a walking around with a bloody baseball bat. And he just he just looks at them, doesn't really like pay them a heed, checks his mail, still carrying this bloody baseball bat, and, and walks back into his house. And it's like uh, so like once um like the hysteria quote unquote passes uh after you kill your kids um after that like you're you're just going about your normal business yeah like what's what's the aftermath of all of this going to be i think the most disturbing moment of all of that is any scene with like a baby so like the beginning scene and the scene with her sister that was horrifying to watch that i had a really hard time swallowing that everything else i was totally fine with like, when the daughter goes to her friend's house, and the mom is just done with killing her, and the teenager comes upstairs, she just, with the tube halfway down her daughter's throat, looks up at her and goes, Hey, kiddo! No interest in going after her, because she did what she had to do, but she had a smile on her face, like, not even registering what she was doing. So, 
if they ever decided to make a mom and dad too, you can make, like I said, you can make infinite sequels with this and I wouldn't be mad because I feel like there are tons of stories to tell. But like, what do you do if you're, I don't know, a giant family of like Mormons where everybody is related to everybody? What do you, like, what do you do? What, it, what happens if it like almost like doesn't reach an isolated community, but you can watch from afar. Like, what if a whole group of Amish people is, like, watching this happen? They don't have technology. They can't hear the static. Um, And like I said, someone who successfully manages to do all of this, what happens if they, A, manage to quell the hysteria? How do you deal with that afterwards? So there, there's a whole ton of shit you can do with this that I think could be really amusing and hilarious to watch. I, I think yeah, they establish a mythology. They they establish follow up questions, but I I'm happy with not having a sequel. I think I think giving a sequel over when I mean I mean I guess it, I mean it depends. I mean obviously if the same writer comes back or if gets someone just as unhinged as Nick Cage, like I don't, I don't know, like Tim Curry or. Willem Dafoe, or, you know, uh, but I don't feel the need to have a sequel, because I think, I I just love that mystery, I love that there's this sense of pure uncertainty, it's like, how long are Nick Cage and some ability to be tied up in the basement, we don't know, and like, what are the kids gonna do, because, like, at least the daughter, the daughter is um, somewhat, somewhat, sensible i mean she was a, a brat for the most of the movie but she showed like in the face of danger she became a macgyver she stepped up and saved her little brother yeah that scene with the mattress was actually pretty fucking ingenious mm-hmm. i love that scene it was really cool <laughs> um but uh i i just i i really don't think i i, I personally don't want or need a sequel i mean again i mean this is this is counteracting my love for Nick Cage, but, like, Nick Cage doesn't say no to movies, so he, he's gonna do another crazy batshit movie in the future, so it's fine. Yeah, I I don't... I don't have a particular hatred or love for this movie. I liked it well enough. Um, I thought it was funny. I don't know... I'm not necessarily gonna add this to my ever-turning roster of of horror films that I will just keep on the back burner when I'm in the mood to watch something but I can't quite place it. I'm not going to do that. I'll recommend this to people. It was fine. It was funny. It was entertaining. It's not bad or good. It's just sort of like in the middle for me. Like it was, it was entertaining. It was fine. It was, you know. For me, so this, this movie made me very nostalgic and wistful because uh, back when... I uh, used to live in uh, Maryland and D.C. Uh, we used to have uh, this uh, somewhat frequent tradition. We called it Nick at Night, where we just get together and watch and make fun of a Nick Cage movie. And it was like some of my fondest memories of of living in D.C. Like every like every like now and then. I share memes and news about Nick Cage with this particular friend group from DC. And I always say, like, I miss Nick at night because, like, because Nick Cage is the gift that keeps on giving. And um, I think in between the two movies, 
if you're looking for that unhinged popcorn thriller feel where you just want to have a good time whether or not you you like it or don't like this movie you it's like it's an experience it's batshit crazy uh and the one thing you can't deny is like nick cage is fully committed like you know so i think it's between these two this is definitely the more fun of the two i feel like this movie is definitely more something that you know, you, you just turn on the background noise, or you just you definitely should watch with a group of friends. Now, leading to Mandy, Mandy, uh, it's a different type of unhinged with Nick Cage, and I feel like it, this is definitely an art house film. It's definitely it's it's kind of like I, I would say it's a kind of like an antithesis of Mom and Dad, where it's also unhinged. It's also really out there but it's the charm or the mystique of mandy is that it's an uncompromising vision um and it's a truly unique auteur avant-garde film that just pushes the boundary of like sense senses and storytelling and similar to mom and dad where the story is like very simple it doesn't quite do it justice, but like the 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 story is it's basically a revenge flick. Doesn't do it justice. It's a simple film, but like the way it's shot, the way it's is portrayed, it's like this phantasmagorical, mystical, mythological, LSD's acid trip. Like yeah, with, buddy. With like so many influences and nods. Like there's like nods to like. Steven Spielberg and Hellraiser and like classic heavy metal covers from the 70s and 80s or like heavy metal magazine or like these really trippy fantasy covers that you see on these old school magazines and it just um and like just like the the sound design is like it's super like like this really out of mind out of body synth soundtrack and it just becomes this strange odyssey of experience and it's it is both similar and at the same time a polar opposite of mom and dad and um yeah it's it was that was a trip i'll agree with that i'll agree with that so i have a synopsis for mandy um this one is only available on shutter it was a shutter exclusive and I couldn't be happier about that. I'm happy that Shudder gets this one and doesn't share it with anybody else. Shudder has also been, like, on top of the movies that have been coming, like, especially in the horror world that have been coming out recently. They are coming out with some great shit. So add this one to your list. Check it out. Shudder is not that much money. It is $8 a month. You, If you're a horror fan, you are kidding yourself if you don't think that you should have this. I do see some people complain that Shudder has a lot more of the older films than the newer films. A lot of the new stuff is stuff that is exclusive to them. Enjoy that. There are other platforms out there that don't get that kind of crap. Also, there is nothing wrong with the old stuff. Lord knows we're going to start getting, you know, dive a little bit deeper into the older stuff this year. So, I do it. And no, we're not sponsored by Shudder. We just really like them a lot. <laughs> they're they're great. They're they're, great. they're fantastic. They are fueling my obsession. 
uh, Mandy synopsis. The enchanted lives of a couple of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their demon biker henchmen propelling a man into a spiraling surreal rampage of vengeance. It is so cool. I, I just love how much this movie blurs reality and fantasy. Um, I think I, I'd say this movie is somewhere in between a horror movie and a dark fantasy film. Um, and like, for example, those bikers, like, um, they give two equally possible explanations. Like one, these are literally remnants from hell. They, they look exactly like the Xenobites from Hellraiser, but at the same time, they also give it a, like a pretty possible explanation. Like, oh yeah, these guys are a motorcycle gang that had one super messed up batch of LSD and now they become like bloodthirsty sadomasochists. And it's like, this is... This is great. It's awesome. Okay. This movie, I love the color scheme of this movie. I think that it has the look and feel of a cosmic horror movie without being one. I think a lot of that has to do with this added layer, uh, especially after the fact of the drugs. Um, I like the little subtleties that were also in the dialogue and in the things that you get to see in this movie. When they come, when the hippies first come to the house and they've drugged Mandy, Mandy says that she, when she looks at the leader and the leader's talking to her and he says, like, what do you see? She says, I see the Reapers coming. And you think, oh, she's on drugs. She'll know what the fuck she's talking about. But the first thing that Nick Cage gets when he, like, pulls himself together to, like, go after this shit is an automatic crossbow from a friend of his called the Reaper. So it's sort of in like this, it's this very weird druggy, like this drugged out like trip of a movie. And, it, and it's even like, though it, it's like that the entire time, like even even in like the the non action moments, like there's like these long scenes. Well, there's this one scene where um um uh, it's Mandy and Red. They're just like laying down in bed together. And they're just talking and like it's lit in like this really weird like purplish red red light. Uh, and then there's like this long drawn out synth wave uh, saturated in the back. And it's just like the entire time you're just – you're it's as if it's like space and time is like warping around. And like your sense of perception is weird. And it just gets stranger like I, that particular scene where – um, she's brought before the cult and they drugged her by putting like LSD in her eye. She gets stung by like this gigantic A fucking murder rock. hornet. It's one of those murder hornets that's like running around the US oh, yes. right now. That's what it is. Oh yes. And then and then she's taken she's taken into this room and like you see her move and there's like copies of her and everyone's voice is low and distorted. Uh, and there's this one scene where uh, Jebediah Sand, like the leader of the cult, is talking face to face, and there's this one shot where Jebediah Sand is talking, and his face morphs into Mandy, and then morphs back to his own face. Okay, okay, okay. So here's the thing: that was a stroke of fucking genius. Because not that I have any experience with this, but supposedly when you take mind-altering drugs, sometimes what can happen is if you focus on something long enough, it'll warp around you. 
And that's sort of what was happening in that scene. And I have to tell you, I was staring at it for so long and I have to, I have no doubt in my mind that this was intentional. I was staring at that scene for so long. I was like, do both of these actors look the same? Or are they superimposing one face on the other? Is it warping? What the fuck is happening? It was just done so well, so subtle. And there's no way that was a mistake. That was 150% intentional. And I think that a lot of like the little, I mean, maybe this is my horror brain thinking too much into it, but a lot of the, like the little things that they mentioned in this movie, I also don't think were a coincidence. I think they were intentional. The fact that they live in a secluded cabin next to Crystal Lake, not an accident, I'm pretty sure. The little lead, the little red chainsaw, Evil Dead. I just think that there are all these like little itty bitty things that just sort of show you like, hey, horror, like, I don't want to sound like a cliche drugged out hippie right now, but like all horror is connected. <laughs> yes. Uh, and like, so that's, that's clearly not um, a stretch, um, uh, especially that commentary track um, on Shutter. Also that house, that house that they lived in, uh, in one shot, it, I swear to you, it looked like the house from 13 Ghosts. I love that movie. We should we should review that movie. Um, it's on the list. Oh my god! Uh, and that, that house was built from scratch. And maybe maybe it wasn't the same house then, but it kind of. Fu- There's this one shot where I'm like, "That's the house from Thirteen Ghosts. What is happening?" <laughs> Who knows? I mean, so so this director, like P- Panos Cosmatos, he's takes all these aesthetics, all these tastes from from all these genres, and he just blends into this trippy weird heavy metal psychedelic trip and it's just it is so striking it's so beautiful and so haunting and um each of the honestly i'm fucking here for it man yeah it's great like this movie is just it's just out there um and it's it's a horror movie that i honestly could say it's like nothing like like there's nothing like it like I, i feel it's it's on the same level of avant-garde uh same level of our craftsmanship um and originality as uh, like ari aster's films and like you know they they're bringing something so new so unique to the horror scene they're they're pushing the 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 envelope forward and um and i'm so happy for uh for uh for panos because um you know this movie premiered at Cannes and uh it's got like a four minute ovation uh standing ovation and it's gotten a ton of positive reviews and it's like hell yeah like this 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 production from the weight of of its sheer originality and sheer audacity and and its ability to dare to dream so boldly into this wild wild thing this form this this um this new age new wave kind of look and feel i i think it's really great i think it's, i'm so happy and like nick cage um you know he just elevates the film um every and like every all all, all the entire team uh just really elevated and um I, I i also found this really charming uh elijah wood frodo frodo baggins he's a frodo he's a producer fucking baggins yes yeah. well he's also like a really huge horror fan too which i love and i love finding that shit out but i think what helps create the atmosphere of this movie is that 
from far away, Red and Mandy sort of seem like this, like this odd, like this odd couple where you look at them and you go, huh, never would have guessed that couple, but cool. And she seems like the little one that's a little wacko compared to him. He seems very like soft-spoken and sort of like together and and introverted, even though he wants to leave the isolation of, of the forest and she seems to enjoy it. It's just like one of those weird things. He becomes completely off of his, He goes completely off his fucking rocker in this movie. And it honestly is just like a tour de force of a, of of a fucking performance. I have never one of my favorite freakouts from Nick Cage is from Vampire's Kiss from what I think it's like 1973 or some shit or ni- whatever it is. That is nothing compared to what you see in this movie. He is bananas. Yeah, there's this one scene where spoilers uh Is this is this what I think it is? Yes. Is this what I think so it is? So Mandy dies. Oh uh, no! He Mandy died, and then, uh, and then he he's he he finally comes to, uh, he he manages to yes. escape his his bonds. That he's he's walking around, uh, in his underwear, um, and then he goes to the bathroom, and then because there, oh it, my god, it's like it's like this two minute scene where he's. He grabs a bottle of vodka and he's uncontrollably and violently drinking it, and he's going through this hurricane of emotions. It's like grief and despair to to sheer outright pain, and there becomes like this angry, vengeful war cry at the end. And then the next, it's like this. It's just Nick Cage using his over-the-top screaming as an instrument playing all these different types of notes uh emoting in so many different ways and it kind of just like it just summarizes his entire emotional arc um in um, like two minutes um never cutting and it's like it's i I can't explain it it's just like it's it's like the purest nick cage i've ever seen in my life and that's saying something i also want to say that like nick cage just all bloodied and screaming and violently drinking and crying in his underwear in the bathroom on a toilet is a mood. <laughs> that is a whole fucking mood during quarantine also. Just like... <laughs> Aggressively drink <laughs> in your underwear. No one I get it, a fuck. man. I get it. No one get... But I was like... I saw that and I was like, I feel you, Nick Cage. I was like, this is a mood right here. I... This... This movie is just... It's it's something else, I have to tell you. And I think one of the things that you said earlier was there's two ways to look at the demon bikers as legitimate demon bikers or as normal humans that you're looking at through the lens of a drug trip gone wrong. And I have to tell you, I was sort of thinking about that back in my brain because when Nick Cage goes to the demons like trailer... I'm like, why would a demon from hell be watching human porn? I don't understand. This. But then and, then, and there's like, oh wait, this guy has a and there's like a mountain of cocaine piece. on the table. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I. <laughs> it's beautiful. This movie is a drug trip, quite literally. Like, <laughs> it's so good. Um, I'm saving that still, also of Nick Cage at the end, blood red. 
And he's just red, like red light, soaked in blood, just grinning from ear to ear. I was like, oh, okay, okay. That, okay, so that 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 brings up a question. So, um, that scene is deliberately a bit ambiguous and so mm-hmm. trippy. So after this, um, uh, he kills everyone in the cult, burns the church, and he's driving away, um, and he's he hallucinates uh seeing mandy and then there's one part of this hallucination where i think he's reliving the memory of uh him meeting her for the first time uh and then it cuts to that crazy grin of his where he's still covered in blood and he's still looking in the general direction and um she mandy's still in the car i think i again similar to the demon biker situation there's like a lot of strange mythology that's never really explained in the film. Like, for example, uh, the cult summons the demon bikers using this artifact called the Horn of Abraxas. It looks like a stone ocarina. Uh, or the fact that, uh, yeah, like uh, Jebediah's stand does like a ritual stabbing of Nick Cage with this dagger that has like an eyeball in it. So I feel like the end it could be read one of two ways like one nick cage just has just gone completely off the deep end he's still coked out at his mind he probably has a taste for this super messed up lsd he's probably become as mad or as bad as uh the demon bikers the black the black skulls uh and you know what what we see is him just he's gone the past no return um the second reading of it is that uh, i know um there's in the mythology and in certain parts of the dialogue, uh, they reference the, 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 these these dark powers or the, like there there there's these rituals that allow you to transport you to like other weird dimensions or they they can up, open up new worlds. And the other thing that I was thinking about, like uh, the final scene, is um, Nick Cage driving away. Uh, and the the background again it's like this super sci-fi fantasy heavy metal-esque uh vista where he's driving away the entire wayscape is like red and orange and purple and there's two moons hanging in the sky so it's like is nick cage like did he end up in some other dimension is he like in is he driving through hell now like what's going on And, and those are two equally plausible like resolutions like one he's just batshit crazy or two he's actually in another dimension and i love that and it never it never uh explains it it never gives you a concrete ending it just gives you room to speculate and think about it um and you know if you were listening to the show we we do ron i we clearly don't like it when the audience or the, the director or the, the team like spoons feeds you or just give you too much exposition like you know, trust your audience to like enjoy it or at least give give them something to talk about or think about yeah absolutely i so i the ending for me sort of harkened back to this conversation that red and mandy had about their favorite planets and about how hers was uh i think it was jupiter because of how big the storm is on jupiter it could engulf like the entire planet earth And then how Nick Cage turned around and said that his favorite was Saturn. And then he changed his mind and said that it was Galactus. And she said, well, that's not a planet. It eats other planets. 
So that just, it sort of was like a harken back to that conversation where like, are you, where Nick Cage was sort of like being swallowed up by the drugs he had inhaled to go on this revenge fueled journey. Um, I also sort of saw in stereotypical fashion, I saw the uh, reunion of him and Mandy in the car as sort of like him coming down and his heart starting to like fail him from the amount of drugs that he's did. Like he did what he had to do. His journey is over. He's done. So he's dying basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he like saw like the beginning and the end of the bookends of like their journey together as Red and Mandy. He went back and relived the moment of them two meeting. And then you saw the planets. And it was sort of like, there's, there's Uren. You, like, went to this place that you had, like, shared together in a conversation. Like, I don't know. That's just the way I looked at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I completely, I completely forgot about the planetary discussion. So, that actually, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I really like that read that, like, maybe Nick Cage is imagining himself on their respective favorite planets because that's one of the most that's one of the last conversations they had together before right she went, went down that's really cool so like that's just the way i looked at it and i was like oh okay and i you know what again like like chris said it's it's what you make of it and i like it when directors do that even if a director has a definitive idea of what it's supposed to mean fine as an audience member, you should you should be able to look at something at the lens of, well, this is what I think of it, but whatever the director says can be seen as plausible too. So I love it when when movies end like that and how there's a whole realm of possibilities, not just one. Definitely. I agree. And uh Yeah, this movie is such a trip. Like and there's so Quite many- literally there's it's so many weird trip. over-the-top things and like so i'm very curious like what was your favorite scene or like i chainsaw so fight many, i'm sorry chainsaw fight chainsaw fight yes chainsaw fight and it that kill so right, right Ch- texas chainsaw massacre it is it, it fits exactly with like the the gonzo bizarre scene um and the the like the the kills the kills are so creative in here i love the kill for this one especially like nick cage you know, maybe I feel like this is maybe like a nod to like his role as Ghost Rider. He takes a, a giant chain, the giant chain, yeah, yep. the giant yep. chain, he grabs it around the, his opponent and like drags him down, and the other guy gets cut on his own. That um, long uh, ass chainsaw. friggin' chainsaw. Oh my god, it is it is like so good? And like, oh oh, I I completely forgot. So like, so um, apparently, uh, the director. He wrote like this crazy in-depth dissertation about the the male ego, especially like the male ego's want for power and domination, and how it's like it's like also very fragile, and all those themes are are very prevalent in the film. And just the fact you had a chainsaw fight, and one of them was had a is sporting like, oh, my chainsaw is bigger than yours, and you're just just trying to like my quote unquote chainsaw is bigger yes. than yours. Yes. yes. It's very good. Um, my also, I just love just how uh, obviously, like, if it's not clear, I love heavy metal. I love these weird, like Frank Vizetta, bizarre, dark fantasy, 
covers where it has like like it's like an alien planet there's like an elf with a battle axe like so i love that scene where there's like zero context for it but it's just so cool just nick cage forging this mystical battle axe and just yeah and just taking into battle and (laughs) fighting fighting off demon bikers who don't drop after being shot through the neck with an arrow and oh that that fight where uh he's fighting with the axe with uh, in front of the burning car with the other black rider that was such a cool scene and apparently that was filmed in one night which is ridiculous like usually fight scenes like that can take much longer like uh, over the span of a week so uh that's just the cage just forging and wielding a battle axe like the cage is terrified but just give him a battle axe like yes oh give him a battle axe make him hide off his ass and cover him in a shit ton of blood you're in for a real treat yes this like a great. real treat i love so it <laughs> in case it wasn't obvious i loved mandy like far more than mom and dad i will say the only downside to mandy was that it's a very slow start like almost like painfully slow and then it picks up it is a long horror movie i feel it's like at least two hours it's two hours it's two hour movie and it's once you get about a minute um, a minute an hour 14 in then it shows you the title card (laughs) like that's how you know that's where shit's about to get real and go down and from then on the movie picks up and it's done and you're like the last like 40 minutes of the movie fly by because it's sheer violence all the way through. And it just doesn't stop. It, he snowballs. It was so good. I liked Mandy like a lot. Like a I lot, liked them both for different reasons. I, 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 if you put a gun to my head, I really, they both do. I, they both do different things. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, a horror movie that I would have a preference for and be more likely to recommend to someone. Mandy is my winner. Mm. Nick Cage is unfucking stoppable in that movie. Nick Cage is just one <laughs> badass mofo. Just like the man is severely mind. unhinged. I love it. Oh, it's so good. Um, cool. I think I think we pretty much said we all we need to say. It's just yeah. Um, um I. Should we give our ratings for Mom, yes. Dad, and Mandy? You go first. Oh God, I, 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 I Mandy, Mandy, six out of five uh, battle axes. Cause Mandy like encompasses like like so this is obviously a very me centric movie or me centric episode. I love the cage, um, but Mandy in particular ticks off so many boxes that I enjoy cosmic horror synth wave soundtracks um weird heavy metal fantasy stuff um i mean i i'm i i i just drug addled uh, psychological trips and uh demons um all that jazz like all that like like hits hits my buttons and, and just like the execution like like we said at the top of the episode the st- it's not the story that matters is the experience and like you just gotta you gotta let yourself go you gotta let go and just be taken on this ride and it'll it'll take you to jupiter you know it's just and i i think i think this movie in particular it is such a 
wild left field incarnation and something that's so original and i i really respect the vision of like everyone who's worked on it mom and dad i will give it i'll give it four at four and a half out of five uh broken pool tables um <laughs> so i enjoy I, I don't get me wrong i really enjoyed uh this film like it it's nick cage is also equally as unchained um the reason why i i give it a slightly lower rating is like uh i just thought like i thought most of the cast was strong i thought like the kids were particularly annoying um but maybe that's that's the point that's the entire point of the film like you know your kids drive you crazy yeah that yeah they drive they really literally drive the parents crazy but i i felt like the kids or like at least the characterization of the uh, of the high schooler especially the daughter or friend i thought it was just they were trying a little bit too hard they were trying a little bit too hard to make them unlikable but i mean that's a very very small complaint like i still enjoyed the movie i thought their chemistry is great and i think the, the the two movies served two different types of audiences or two two, two types of sensibilities uh I, and i think my sensibilities gravitate a lot further or a lot more to Mandy. Um, but that's, yeah. I mean, I still think I love both. That's, that's my thoughts. Uh, how about you? <laughs> I give mom and dad a 2.9. Wow. That's low. <laughs> it's like a 2.99. It's like right under a three. Um, and then I will give Mandy a 3.75. Just because like, they didn't make, they're not, te- like, mom and dad's not terrible, and Mandy's not terrible. They're not bad by any stretch of the imagination, just on, like, my personal scale of what I love about horror movies and the way I watch them and the way they keep my attention. Um, they just They just don't go as high as some of the other ones that I have, like, fallen in love with, just, like, in life or through you and I trying to find new things to watch while we're recording this. Mandy has a lot of things that I really, really like. Hence the 3.75. It's just not, it's just like not quite, not quite there. And probably I think what knocked some of that off for me was the really, really, really slow start. It just, it felt a little long at the beginning. Not that it didn't pay off. Because some of that stuff, I think, does really pay off in the movie. I just think that, like, you just, you needed something else. And also, not for nothing, but when you have a horror movie and you you have Richard Brake in it, put him in the movie for longer than, like, 30 seconds. (laughs) What the fuck was that? (laughs) That's it. Okay, I'll get, yeah, I definitely agree with that, yeah. Okay, like... He was the cracked out chemist, I get it, but like there you let the tiger out of the cage and and you lectured him and then what? Yeah, I I that the chemist the chemist is probably one of the more important characters in the film because like he supplied the the stuff that made the the black riders and like I yes, like yes, I obviously like this movie is really out there so mm-hmm. it's 
I I get why they didn't explain about the tiger being there. It's like, oh, this guy. Actually, I think the director's commentary, the the reason he had a tiger was he was feeding the drugs to the tiger to experiment on them. But in the film, it's like, oh, there's just a random tiger. And and well, no, um, he says if she's calm, that's how I know it's good. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, so like, I get it. But also, even without that, I'm like, oh, a, a, a guy who makes drugs has a tiger. I, I'm not batting an eyelash. Like, it just, it seems very plausible. I just think that if you're going to have a, a character and an actor in that movie as recognizable and iconic as Richard Brake, then you, I would have reversed the roles. I would have made him Jeremiah. And whoever played Jeremiah is the chemist. I'm not a director. I'm not a casting director. I can't make those decisions. I just. I might it was really them. interesting. Um, so the director originally wanted to cast Nick Cage as Jeremiah Sands. Uh, what I don't do you think, think that would have worked as well. It I don't think. It, well. I don't think so. I mean, the guy they they got for Jeremiah, he was creepy as hell. Uh, he's played by uh, 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 Linus Roche. Mm-hmm. Linus Roche. Um, actually, this is a fun fact. Um, he played. He played a. Uh, God, he, he was in one of the. Ba- he was in Batman Begins. I think it was. Um, I think it was Joe Chill. No. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. He played. He played one. He played one of the villains in. in well, he played a very minor villain in like the Batman Begins. But uh, he's also known for Priest, West, The Wings of the Dove. Nonstop. I I have never seen any of these movies. The only movie I've seen him in is uh Batman Begins, of course. Um, but uh, I thought they found someone who is creepy and seductive and unhinged and like strong but f- fragile. Um, you know there was clearly some like Charles Manson inspirations going on there, and like he nailed it so well like he was he was charismatic and repulsive at the same time it was also I'll, I'll say this that scene with mandy at the like during the drug trip like while he's preaching at her it would not have worked if it wasn't those two actors i'll say that that scene wouldn't have worked um the way they superimposed everything and sort of morphed one face over the other none none of that would have worked if you had swapped the actors so uh, that was correct that was right they hit the nail on the head but if you're gonna have richard break in a movie you gotta you just you gotta give me more you gotta give me something so i just felt that he was sort of given the short end of the stick just a little bit that's all I agree. Other than yeah. that, it was great. <laughs> it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I, I, I think you know, um, yeah. I think I, I completely agree. And again, like Nick, I, I, I honestly still can't see Nick Cage as Jeremiah Sands. I think I can't I think either. What he, what he, that would have been a huge table, mistake. Yeah, what he brought to the table is red. Was the pitch perfect? And uh, um, I, I think the the evolution of that was. Um, apparently, I think when they first, like, initial drafts, um, they, um, they were looking at Nick Cage, and the director had a different theme or mindset, it was, he was trying to cast those roles based on age, then later when they, I think it was, like, about a year later into production, 
where they're reviewing the story and they were fear they were trying to view the characters and relationships in terms of like love and romance and intimacy um um and intensity and with that um the the director uh then came around like you know what the cage is the perfect one and like uh, everyone on the set agreed and you know the movie's so much better for it I 100% agree. 150% agree. And uh, so uh, I think with that, uh, Raj, should we uh, head off to Jupiter or Galaxus? Let's go. I'll just I'll just snort whatever's on my yeah. desk. I'm kidding. I have no yeah. drugs on my desk. <laughs> let's get some. Let's get some demonic LSD. Get some ATV. Get some of that hell LSD. Well, I don't yeah, even know man. what that was. Yes, we, we'll, we, we need to go out and find some molten metal and make some battle axes, because... Done, I'll leave that apocalypse. to you. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Left 4 Dread Pod. You can find us on Facebook, and you can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. Hell yeah. And um, so we want to thank everyone for um, you know, being patient with us. Um, you know, real life uh, hit us hard in the past two weeks. So uh, we, we apologize. But we reposted some cool classic episodes. And we're back in the studio. So we're back to being uh on schedule we got some really exciting uh new episodes coming out soon uh so stay tuned and uh again thank you for being unhinged with us being on yes with with, with with mr cage uh so stay safe um and uh don't forget stay, stay dreadful, dreadful. <laughs>